Well, good morning. Are you guys having fun already? It's a good day, isn't it? It's a beautiful day. Jason got to do it, so I want to do it too. He is risen. He is risen. One more. He has risen. Hallelujah. We have a hope. We have a hope. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to read to you this morning from Isaiah. Oh, I'm Pastor Joshua, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Center. Occasionally they let me speak, which is always good. But there's a lot of uh, feedback that I get later. Some of you may not believe that, but I actually do get a lot of feedback. Not all of it good. Let's go to the scriptures. Isaiah 53. I'm going to begin in verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is this Jesus that we speak of. It says, Jesus Christ was a man who was acquainted with sorrows. He was a man who was acquainted with rejection. He understands what those things are like. This is the Messiah that has come for us. This is the Savior. And he rose from the dead. After he went to the cross on our behalf, he rose from the dead. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. I know oftentimes when we think about something as massive as the resurrection, it is, as Jason just shared, it is the most catalytic, most amazing, most sovereign event that has ever happened in all of history. And there are so many repercussions, all of them good, that have come out of the resurrection of Christ that it's, it's almost overwhelming to try to bring it down into one moment. You know, we oftentimes talk about on, on, on Easter Sunday, it's hard because we go from the cross to the resurrection and all in just one half an hour. And it's like, oh, we're crying, we're weeping, and then now we're laughing and rejoicing. And you can almost emotionally just sort of feel overwhelmed. And, and how do we quantify the amazing work of what Christ has done in a short few moments? Well, obviously we don't. We just don't. The beautiful thing is because he has risen, then we will spend all eternity with him, and we're already beginning that. And we have all of eternity to discover facet after facet, glory after glory, strength after strength of the revelation of the reality of what Christ did when he died and rose again. And we're with him. So we have all of eternity to discover afresh each moment and each day what he's actually accomplished. And that's beautiful and that's amazing. But today I want to talk to you about one facet, just one of the many beautiful facets of what this Jesus, this Savior, the Son of God, our good dad's son, Jesus Christ, what he did when he rose from the dead, what he did when he came down here. I just want to talk to you about one thing. And that thing is that he understands us that he identifies with us. This is an amazing aspect of what he's accomplished. 
as I prepare to talk to you about that, I want you to be thinking about that, I'm going to begin by comparing what God did in Christ and what we believe with some of the philosophies of our day, with some of the religions of our day. The most popular religion of our day at this moment, uh, most of us are acquainted with it, with it, those of us in the West, I should say, is this idea that there's no binaries, that we should reject binaries. You guys are asking, what is a binary? A binary is simply this, that something is either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's bad. It's either on or it's off. Are you with me? It's a binary. It can only be one thing or the other. The philosophy of this day and age is the idea that binaries are bad. That anyone who would be so shallow as to say that there's only one way to eternity, only one way to goodness, only one version of what is good, is completely narrow and outdated and outmoded, and they should learn how to be kind and tolerant, and they should reject that binary. But the main tenet of this idea that there should not be binaries is itself a binary. You see the problem? You're saying, look, anyone who says that there's only one way to be saved and only one major problem in this world, and it's sin, is being narrow-minded, and they shouldn't believe that. Well, that in and of itself is a binary. And so therefore, the philosophy that binaries are bad in of itself already cancels itself out by simply adhering to its own tenets. So we can go ahead and push that philosophy aside and, and get rid of that idea that everybody's just a really good person and everybody's figuring it out and anyone who says that there's only one way shouldn't say that has to, with, its, with intellectual integrity, has to cancel itself from the list of reasonable ideas. You with me? All right, so that's the first philosophy. And then we look at these, at these main uh, religions of our day, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, secularism. And, and what we have essentially in all of these are these moral codes. They all have a moral code. And, and they should have a moral code because we're made in the image of God and we have, we have a conscience. We have an idea that there's such a thing as right or wrong. Every one of us is born with that. And so every religion, these religions that are, some of them, you know, they're hundreds and thousands of years old, these religions have certain moral codes. And they tell you there's a certain way that you can live, and you need to live according to this moral code. You need to live up to that code. You need to live up to what is good and right. And if you will do it, with Islam and Buddhism, Hinduism, essentially, if you'll live by this moral code, then you will be rewarded eternal life. And when you boil them down, these are the main tenets. But here's the problem with each of these. Each of these requires us to build this ladder on our own. It deals with the fact that there is evil, but it doesn't deal with the problem of evil. And we're left to somehow live out a moral life in order to attain to this righteousness, to this eternal life. But there's no savior. Are you with me? There's no one to save us. And in secular humanism, which we just talked about, which essentially at this point, the main reasoning behind secular humanism is this binary argument, which we just canceled out as well. But even if I am a secular humanist and I've decided I can just make up my own way and I come up with a moral code, I still have to live by that moral code. And so I'm still trying to earn my way unto God. I'm still trying to figure out how to get to God and I'm trying to, by my own actions, earn my way into holiness and righteousness and goodness. And there is no savior for me, and here's the problem. I need a savior. You need a savior. All of us, regardless of what we've been espousing, you'll notice that none of us have been able to keep the rules. Even if we start to agree upon some for our own life, then we don't even keep those rules. And so these religions all fail 
in comparison to what Christ came and taught because they do not offer a savior. They simply offer a moral code to try to be a better person. And here's the problem. We're not good at being better persons. It doesn't deal with the issue of selfishness. It doesn't deal with that. And selfishness, by definition, is sin. And so we need a savior. And when we, when, we, when we espouse these other religions and philosophies, what we're essentially saying is that if I can just live by these rules, I will be holy. I will be a good person. And so what I'm trying to do is be my own savior. And how many of you have tried to be your own savior? You don't have to raise your hand. I think at one time or another, probably all of us have tried to be our own savior. We've tried to embrace a set of rules, even within Christianity, Those of us that say, I believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God, but we have not yet understood that we need a savior in it. We may have embraced the teachings of Christianity, but we don't have a revelation of who this Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so we're actually just living by a moral code. And it's a good moral code. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a very good moral code. The only problem is without a savior, none of us are capable of living by it. And if we do get a certain amount of, uh, down the road with that moral code, we immediately then turn and we're like, well, you should be living like me. I'm like a really good person. Look at all these rules that I follow. And we end up moralizing. And what are we doing? Again, again, we're trying to be our own savior. We're trying to be our own savior. Maybe on the other side, another philosophy that we see, and this is a very popular one of our day and age, and that is simply this. And it comes out of the idea that, you know, it's all good. Everybody's well-intentioning. I believe in higher power and some goodness out there. And I just really believe that if you just do the best you can with what you know, then in the end, you know, it'll all wash out because I'm a pretty good person. And what am I doing? If I, if I espouse that kind of a philosophy, what am I actually doing? What I'm actually doing is I'm lowering the moral code down to my current level of understanding and practice. And I'm still my own savior. It's just that instead of trying to live by another code that was written, I wrote my own code. But I'm still trying to be my own savior. Are you guys with me? And so some of us have been trying to do that. I'm just, I just write my own code. And then that's the funny part though, isn't it? As soon as you write your own code, you don't even keep that. I'm only going to drink five beers a night. Make that seven. Okay. <laughs> right? Come on. And so we need a savior. We need a savior. And there's only one place where we can find a savior, and that is in that place of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. He did rise from the dead. And I'm not going to go into apologetics about this this morning, though they are there. Apologetics are the, are the argument unto truth of the evidence of our beliefs, okay? I'm not going to spend time on that this morning, but sufficient to say that history has shown that Christ Jesus came in the flesh, died and rose on the third day, that he walked around for 40 days and was seen by hundreds of people. And his followers, after he rose from the dead, were so confident in his resurrection that they themselves went to the death under torture and duress, refusing to recant because they had seen Christ. And even their critics looked at their lives and said, these plain, uneducated men are walking in power. Clearly, they have been with Jesus. And there's a lot of beautiful books out there. And if you have questions and you're searching to say, I really do want more proof of the resurrection of Christ. I appreciate your passion, Joshua. But I want to see it with my own eyes. Come and see me. We'd love to set you up with some great resources so that you yourself can do the work to realize that Christ Jesus is not just an idea, not just a philosophy, not just a well-meaning bunch of rubes that got together to try to make it seem like there's a good God and you should have a false hope 
an opiate of the masses, but rather Christ Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh, verified by witnesses, sitting at the right hand of God, our Savior. Our Savior. I know, he's good, isn't he? Thank you, Jesus. So, so why did I say something about that he identifies with us? That he understands us? Okay, this is, this is Jesus who came as this Savior. And he did something that's amazing that no one else has done, that we don't see. The way that he came is so unique and so beautiful. And this is what I want to share with you today. This is what I, this is the, just one facet, just one facet. But, it, but this is the one that I want to share with you. This is the one that brings such strength to my life. As a sinner who's been redeemed by grace and become a son and a saint who now just sometimes sins. Whereas before I just did it all the time professionally. Now I can't even enjoy it anymore. And if I do fall down, he is faithful to redeem me. But let me tell you something. I have to be confident in that because I have to come up here and face you on Sundays. And I still sometimes do really stupid things. Just ask my wife. And I have to be confident in this Savior. I need a Savior. And I need, I not, I need not just any Savior. I don't need a philosophy. I don't need rules to keep. I'm, the, I'm a big strategist. Oh, I just, I just need a better strategy. Well, I've tried better strategies for a long time. I need a Savior. And here's something that my Savior did. When Jesus came, in Isaiah 53, it says this. It says, he was acquainted with sorrow. He understood grief. We considered him smitten of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. What is this saying? In Hebrews, it says that he was tempted in every way, just like us, yet without sin. Why is this important? This is important because it speaks of the goodness of this God. It speaks of the devotion and the love of this God. You know, I've done a lot of reading, and, and I, occasionally I get to do some, some counseling, and, and there's this beautiful aspect of communication. There's a tenet of communication that every one of us, if we want to be good communicators, has to abide by, and it's simply this. I must seek to understand whoever I'm talking to before I seek to be understood. Now, most of us blow this from the outside, outset. We jump right in and we want to tell everybody to understand us. Hey, you need to understand what I'm thinking, blah, 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 right? But if you truly want to communicate, the first thing you need to grab a hold of is that you must seek to understand the other person before you seek to be understood. And if you're willing to do this, something happens in that other person. Something happens in that person that you're communicating with, that as you hear them and you actively listen, you, you understand what's going on with them, you empathize what's happening, you ask questions, their heart begins to open up to you. Once they realize that you, that, that you as a person actually care enough to understand what they're communicating, what's going on with them, something shifts, and suddenly that other person then wants to seek to understand you. But not if you lead with, hey, you need to understand me. They're like, you know what? I kind of don't. I kind of don't, and I'm not even going to hang out for the rest of this. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. But if you come in and you say, can you help me to understand you? What are you saying? You're saying, first of all, you're valuable. You're worth knowing. 
I want to be able to identify with where you're coming from, with what you feel, with what you're, where are you in this? I'm showing you a value. I'm leading with love. Love, by definition, communicates, and communication means that I'm willing to seek to understand. Jesus came down as the Son of God, and he identifies with everything that we've faced. He's not just Superman. You see, God could have just taken his godness. If he wasn't good, he could have just taken his godness and just, you know, saved us, right? He just, just you're all saved. Bam. I took rid of, I, sin, handled. People, redeemed. But he didn't do it that way. Why? Because he actually loves us, and he wants us to know him. He actually desires that we would understand him. And his only option then, if that was his aim, and it was, was that he would come down and identify with us. That he would identify what it is to live on this earth as a human being, just like you and me. In the word, it says he was tempted in every way, just like we're tempted, yet without sin. So he knows what it is to deal with temptation. It says when we come to God, don't think that you come to a priest who doesn't understand the weaknesses that you have. He himself had to face those things, yet he was without sin, which means there's hope for us in the middle. But it's not this distant God that says, well, play it again, Sam. We'll just reincarnate you as a lower being, and then you see if you can learn it then which is really what? Be your own savior, figure it out. Jesus came and said, I'm gonna be your savior, but I am going to be acquainted with the same level of everything that you've faced. He actually understands us. Isn't that amazing? He came to the earth and he sought to understand and asked nothing of us. Isn't that amazing? And then, and then, he rose from the dead, defeating not only sin. He died the death that we deserve to die. But he was raised from the dead. God looked at what he had done and raised him from the dead so that now with him, we can live the life that he lived and that he's living. We can be resurrected with him. Are you guys with me? And so it is in this that I, I simply want to commend this God to you, that he's the God that identifies with us. It's amazing to think that this God, who is all-powerful, chose to be all-good. And he has proved it to us, not only in this way, but this is the way we're talking about today, in that he took the time to understand the very things that we face. And why would he do that? There could be only one reason. It's the same reason why we would ever seek to understand anyone else. Because we genuinely, actually care. We genuinely, actually love someone enough to say, help me understand this. Help me understand where you are. And so Jesus is not just God. If he was just God and not good, that would not be good for us, would it? Can you imagine? But he has shown that not only is he God, but that he's good. And that each of us, you and I, can come to him knowing that he identifies with us wherever we are. Some of us may say, why would I turn to God? I've been so misunderstood. 
Well, Jesus was completely misunderstood. He knows exactly how you feel. His own followers left him at his greatest moment. They ran away and said they didn't even know him. The political party of that day crucified him, literally. We do it in press or on Twitter. He literally got crucified. He understands what that is. He understands what it is to not, or I'm sorry, he understands what it is to have to discover his own identity through God as God revealed to him through the scriptures as he grew. You're my son. You're not just a carpenter. He, without being raised in the way, he would not have known who he was. But God revealed to him, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you see that? How many of us are saying, but you, you, but you don't know who I am. I have to figure out what my identity is. Well, God knows what it is to have to figure out what his identity is. And through Christ, you can find your identity. You are a son or a daughter of our dad, and you too are to hear, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But if you're confused about that, Jesus can identify with that. He had to find his identity in the scriptures. He had to have it confirmed by the Holy Spirit, just like we do. So for those of us that have identity confusion, you will only find it in the Father through Christ, and he knows exactly what it's like to have to figure that out. He understands. You've been rejected. You've been molested. In studying for those that have been molested, the the hardest part of that is to be used against your own will, to be uncovered and unclothed and bound against your own will. In study after study after study, the act itself is not the part that people refer back to, but it is being forced against your own will to be unclothed in front of another. Jesus was forced against his own will to be unclothed in front of a shouting mob that then whipped him and tore his skin from his flesh. He understands what it is to be shamed and treated as an object. He was betrayed. He died absolutely destitute. Even his clothes were taken from him. Even his clothes were taken from him in the end. He died bankrupt. Everyone that was with him left him. I've been betrayed. One of his closest, one of his closest partners of the 12 betrayed him and sold him out. He knows what it is to be betrayed. In every way, Jesus is the only one, the only one who can truly look every one of us in the eye and say, I understand. Now come to me because I have been raised from the dead and I can take every pain every wound, everything that you've been through, including your sin nature. And if you will come to me, you need a savior. I can be that savior, but I'm not just any savior. I'm the savior that understands. Come to me and be raised from the dead with me. He's the only one. And that's just one facet. That's just one facet of what he's done. But isn't it a beautiful facet that he is the God who seeks to understand, and he does. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together. Wherever you are right now, wherever you are today, whether, whether it resonated with you because you're trying to create your own identity and you're realizing, I need God 
to show me who I actually am. I need to stop deciding how the world works. God understands, and he can meet you right there. Whether you're someone who says, but I've been so wounded, no one can understand what it is to be singled out like this. God says, I do. I understand. I can be your savior in this place. Whether you've been espousing vain philosophies, whatever it is, just bring it to him. Because he's the God that understands, and he can walk you through this. But please, and I think I can say this probably with zero irony, for God's sake, lay down your vain philosophies, your own religious rules, your own demands upon culture to conform to your will so that you can feel okay. Lay it all aside today, because he understands, and he loves you. He's the God that understands, and he has risen from the dead, and so that means we have hope, and he can meet you right where you are. He's the God that identifies with us, and he is good. He is good. So I would like to pray over you, and I want you, wherever you are, the prayer servant team is going to come forward, and they're going to be here to pray with you. If you need encouragement, if you'd like this to be the first day that you begin to become a follower of this good God, this Savior that I've spoken to you about, Today could be that day, and you can come. Anyone in the prayer servant team can walk you through that introduction, that first step. But my prayer for all of us today is, God, you sought to understand, and we now want to seek to understand you. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, I just lift up our hearts to you. Lord, I'm praying a general prayer on behalf of your individual sons and daughters. We together are coming and saying, thank you that you're the God that understands. Thank you that you're the God that identifies with us as, as human beings, as, as people who have lost our ways or been deceived, as people who've been betrayed or wounded. Lord, we've both been the perpetrator and the victim. And, in, and you can look in the, into all parts of our life and you've seen where we've been. You know where we've come from. You understand every slight against us. You've had those things happen to you. But you also understand that we ourselves, Lord, have fallen short of your glory. And that's why you came and died the death that we deserved. Because we have also been selfish. We've also chosen to stay deceived. We have not wanted to see the truth, Lord. It's easier to keep blaming others and blaming circumstances. But today, Lord, we say, I need a savior. I need a savior. My stupid philosophies and my strategies and all those other things, those ways that I've tried to save myself one way or another have failed me. And I need a savior. And if this is true of you, and I believe that it is that you are the savior who understands, then today, God, open my eyes up. I want to understand you. Save me. We ask in Jesus' name and we thank you because we believe and we know that you've been risen from the dead and you alone can save us. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming and understanding me. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.